Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Good afternoon and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Afternoon Bible Study. Today we're going to start a series of studies looking into 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This chapter that uh, discusses in detail the resurrection of the dead. And today we'll begin in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I'll read um, the first section. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. If ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I, deliver, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed. And we'll stop reading there. Now, First Corinthians 15 is... Um, a fairly long chapter of 58 verses, and we have uh, relatively little time left um, before October 7th of 2015 comes. And especially since this is our Sunday study, there's only a few more Sundays that we can look at this. So we will not go verse by verse. Um, uh, we, we just don't have time for that. We'll uh, instead, take it section by section and uh, discuss uh, pertinent information that we find in each uh, of these sections. But today we're going to look at verse 1, mostly, of 1 Corinthians 15. And in verse 1 it says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. Now, uh, this is an important verse. Of course, all the Bible is important. Everything that God has to say in his holy word is important. But in this verse, it speaks of the Apostle Paul, that God is moving to write, that he declared the gospel uh, unto you, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. Now, 
What gospel is this? And there are um, many people, especially in the churches, that say, well, it is the gospel we have had preached, the gospel that was declared to us, the gospel we have received. That is, they say it's it's the gospel that um, traditionally the church has accepted and and the church affirms that this is the gospel that Paul is talking about. And uh, this becomes important because we're living at the time of the end and God has said in his word, as was stated to Daniel, seal up the word until the time of the end, and then knowledge will increase. And that's exactly what has happened as God has opened the scriptures and revealed much information to his people that was hidden in the Bible, sealed up till the proper time, the proper time and season, and then God opens up the minds, the understanding of his people to see these things and to obey them. And that's why we recently have learned of the end of the church age and the command to come out of the church to the people of God. Well, the church who has been um, functioning and operating for centuries and and they never had that kind of a doctrine. They never declared it. They never preached it. They never received it in their traditions, in in church history, uh, in confessions or creeds. There's no mention that that I'm aware of an, of an end of a church age, except in some of the. Uh, Premillennial positions, they they might talk about that, but that came pretty late uh, in church history. So they say this is heresy. This is not the gospel that was preached to us or declared to us, or that we have received. You have another gospel, and uh, you know, um, let, let's compare what we're reading here in First Corinthians fifteen. To Galatians chapter 1, and God used the same individual, moved the same man, the Apostle Paul, to write Galatians as well as 1 Corinthians as he did many of the New Testament epistles. And in Galatians 1, it says, beginning in verse 6, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, the word pervert basically means change, to change the the gospel, the true right uh, gospel of Christ would be to pervert it, and, and that becomes another gospel. But there is not another in actuality, there's only one gospel, and that's why the Apostle Paul was moved to say that, which is not another. And then uh, he goes on to say in verse 8, But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you 
than that which we have preached, just like it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 1, um, then we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. And again, that's the same word that we find in the verse we're looking at, the word received. And and so it's definitely expressing the same idea. You must hold on to, maintain, adhere to what we have preached to you and what you have received from us and nothing else, nothing else. And, and again, this is where... Um, some come in and, and they start saying, we never heard about an end of the church age before. Or others today say, well, we've never heard that Christ died for sin, made payment for sin from the foundation of the world, and not at 33 AD. That's never been preached. That's never been um, declared. That's never been received by the church. It's another gospel. And and you see how they're doing this. Basically, then, any doctrine, any doctrine, according to that kind of thinking, to that kind of understanding, any doctrine that the church has not preached, declared, or received over its long history thereby would become another gospel. And and that's all they have to say. Uh, go check uh, church history. Go uh, read the history books or, or check the confessions, check the creeds, check the traditions, and you will not find that taught that, that Christ actually made payment for sin from the foundation of the world and... No, no, the church has not received that, and therefore it is another gospel. And and that's what some people are trying to actually say today. They're using that kind of argument, but if it wasn't proclaimed, preached, or received, it's not the true gospel. You just came up with this. Well, of course, it's just now being proclaimed, just like the end of the church age, just like annihilation uh, as the true judgment of God rather than a place uh, of eternal suffering in hell, just as other information is just now being proclaimed because of progressive revelation that God has opened up his word, the Bible, unsealed it to reveal these things and some fight against it because they can't fight against these doctrines using the Bible, or that is, they can't use the Bible to prove they're wrong. So they uh, revert back to this argument that it's not uh, been known or received, and and therefore it is another gospel, a false gospel, these are not true Bible doctrines. And yet, is that correct? 
Is that true? Then, then nothing that is being taught that um, God's people have been teaching, preaching, and declaring and receiving over the last several years of of the Great Tribulation and now into the Day of Judgment can be received. You can't understand the Great Tribulation or Judgment Day or any of these things because they go against what the church teaches. But you see that here's the problem, and that is if it were a perfect church, if it were a church that is sound in doctrine and does not make mistakes, has not taught erroneous things over its history and today, then then maybe that kind of argument would have some basis in fact. But what do you do? What do you do when your church has traditionally taught, for instance, that the Pope is infallible and that whatever the Pope says has the power and authority of the Word of God? Or what do you do if um, the Reformed Church teaches that the church itself is the pillar and ground of truth and they're the authority, basically, is what that means, and not the Bible itself, not the living God, but the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Well, those things are wrong. The Pope does not speak infallibly. The church is not the pillar and ground of the truth. God is. And we we could find all kinds of wrong teaching, historically wrong teaching. The um, error of divorce is built into uh, the Westminster Confession, that revered and honored confession, and yet it has an error built into it that permits divorce in the case of adultery, and so forth. There is all kinds of mistakes and errors and wrong teachings the church is traditionally held to, and of course today it's all over the place. But what about the doctrine of free will? The church today preaches it, declares it, receives it in tremendous numbers. Does that make it right? Well, no. So you see, we can't just go along with the idea that whatever the church has traditionally, historically preached and received, that is the gospel. Because then we end up with other gospels, which goes against what we were trying to achieve. We were trying to protect the gospel and protect against uh, forming another gospel. Well, if you hold to what the church is traditionally taught, you will come up with another gospel. Well, then, what is in view here? Now, let's look at this idea of receiving the gospel and and not receiving the traditions of uh, men, the the traditions of the church. Now we we read in Mark chapter seven in 
verse 2. I'll start reading there. When they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say, with unwashing hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, eat not holding the tradition of the elders. So they've received the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not, and many other things there be, which they have received to hold. Now, see the word receive there. So they're, they're receiving, that's the same word in 1 Corinthians 15.1, which they have received to hold as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels, and of tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashing hands. Uh, this this might as well be the words that the church uses when when God's people, the elect, are proclaiming and receiving these um, scriptures, the, these doctrines that have been opened up at the end of time. It's like the church is coming to them and saying, "Why do you not receive the traditions?" of the church fathers, the elders. And none of the church fathers taught these things you are teaching. Why is that? Well, here's the answer in verse 6. He answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain... Do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men? For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men, as the washing of pots and cups, and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. And this is the problem of the corporate church. In many instances, they have rejected the commandment of God and substituted their own tradition on a doctrine like divorce or baptism or um, just just many things. They they substitute the tradition of a respected reformer or a respected church father and. It gets built in to a confession and a creed and it becomes a denominational stance and the church holds, it has received that tradition and it will maintain it now till death. It, it, nothing will change. You cannot argue. You cannot show from the Bible. They won't permit it. Even though the Bible can show it's an error, no, uh, you don't understand. This is a Presbyterian church, and we hold to the Westminster Confession of Faith. You don't understand the kind of church we are and the confessions and creeds we hold to, that is, which we have received. And we have no intention of changing if you don't, like um, this doctrine, you would probably better go find another church. Of course, today, the whole church age is over, and, and this question is, isn't 
uh, even a question, but this is how it's been historically. When the people of God have questioned these things, uh, they there is no discussion. There is no way they are going to change these things. And their errors are built into the foundation of the church, which is not the Lord Jesus Christ. It's another kind of foundation. Well, that's why um, we we have to be very careful and always, always hold to the traditions of God over the traditions of men. And either one can be received. You can receive the true word of God, or you can receive a tradition of men. And, and the church has received in some uh, points the true word of God on a teaching. For instance, the Trinity, or election with some churches. And and so that's good, that's fine, and, and they've done the right thing in those instances. But in others... No, no, they haven't. And they have made this switch to a tradition of men. And and that's what God has corrected at the end of time and as he has opened up his word, the Bible, to reveal the traditions of God. Now, in Second um, Thessalonians, let's turn over there. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. It says in um, verse 6, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. Now I thought it was necessary for us to look at this, because here's the Apostle Paul, and he's saying, Withdraw yourselves from every brother that walks disorderly and and what's the basis for his disorderly conduct well he's not walking after the tradition which he received of us now you can see why churches get it in their mind uh, because god has given verses like this as a snare and a trap they get it in their mind well if anyone doesn't follow our traditions they're walking disorderly and We'll excommunicate them. We'll, we'll, uh, drive them out. Just like the Apostle Paul. Except the Apostle Paul is not talking about the traditions of men. When he says the tradition which is received of us, he's referring to another tradition. Another, um, that which has been received, which is the true gospel. The Word of God, the Bible. If we go back to the previous chapter, in Second Thessalonians 2, it says in verse 15, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. And what are Paul's epistles? Paul's epistles are the Word of God, the Bible. God moved him to will and to write down these things 
that we have in Thessalonians and Corinthians and Ephesians and Galatians and and all the epistles that God moved Paul to write are the word of God. They are the traditions he's referring to. By word could mean um, the rest of the Bible, the Old Testament, the gospel accounts, epistles written by other men. Or our epistle, the epistle that God in particular moved the Apostle Paul to write. Those are the traditions that he's referring to. Turn back to 1 Thessalonians 2. 1 Thessalonians 2. And let's read verse 13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because... When ye receive the word of God, notice the word received again, just as in our verse. When ye receive the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men. That is, it's not the traditions of men. It's not the word of a church or the word of Israel, uh, the, the elders of Israel. But it goes on to say, uh, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Uh, so here, again, there's a different thing being spoken of when the Apostle Paul was referring to the traditions ye received. He's referring to God's word, the Bible. And Keep in mind, Second Peter 3 tells us concerning the epistles of Paul. It says in verse 15, An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. So there, Paul's epistles are likened to the other scriptures. And that's why he's making reference to the things you have received of us, the epistles. It's the scriptures. Hold them fast and and they are that which has been preached the the scriptures the word of god declared they are that which is to be received the scriptures are the gospel the word of god the bible from genesis through revelation all 66 books and every word therein is the gospel that is the gospel that is to be received. And if somebody comes and adds a word to that gospel, the Bible, it's another gospel. They've perverted the gospel. And and you're not to receive that. They are to be accursed. If someone takes away a word from those 66 books, then they have taken away from the gospel. And they are to be accursed. Or if someone, perhaps they accept the Bible as the gospel, 
but then they come up with doctrine that changes the gospel's salvation method from grace to works. They, they add just a little bit of work, such as in accepting Christ. They have become another gospel and, and so forth. This is what this verse, uh, is speaking of when it speaks of the gospel which was preached and declared and received. It's the Bible and, um, maintaining harmony with the Bible. That is, making sure conclusions do not go against the teaching of the Bible concerning grace and and faith and and things like that. All right, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. Now this is um, a significant word that God is giving us at the end of this verse that ye stand in the gospel. The gospel preached, declared, received wherein ye stand. And people of God stand in the word of God by God's grace uh, according uh, to his will as he holds them fast, and they stand with the truth of the word of God. But it means a little bit more than that. Let's let's look at this word stand. And this is the word also that has a lot to do with the positioning of the people of God in the day of judgment. And and uh, we've talked about that before. We'll We'll look at that also. But first, let's go to Romans chapter 5, and in verse 2, it says, By whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So there it it says that we stand in grace. In Romans 11, and verse 2, 20, well, because of unbelief, they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. Stand by faith. Stand by grace. And, and, and there's a couple of other verses that say the same thing, uh, both with faith and grace. We stand by faith. That is, we continue to abide God's um, presence and, and we continue on in a right relationship with God by grace, by faith, not our faith, but by the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's also by His grace. Uh, you know, we're justified by faith. We're also justified by uh, the grace of God. And no one tries to say that it's our grace, and yet all kinds of people tr- uh, attempt to say that it is our faith. But no, it, it's both the faith and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, wherein we stand if we're one of the elect that God has bestowed grace upon 
If we are one that God has granted faith, the saving faith of Christ, we stand in that, that that is our justification, uh, that is the reason we have continued to the point up until now that we have continued to, and it will be the reason we continue faithfully to the end, enduring to the end, and, and uh, especially during this time of a prolonged judgment where there is a, a spiritual fire that is burning and all that our professed believers are cast into this fire to see if we will stand uh, really is what what we're all waiting for. The wicked, the unsaved, wood, hay, stubble will not stand or abide the fire, but the true believer will. Uh, this is why God says in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 17, For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Who is going to stand by grace or stand by the faith of Christ? Who will endure the flames and come out the other side as gold, silver, precious stones? And the day will certainly declare it. It will reveal which of us is which. Who is saved and who is not saved? Who has been builded upon the rock and who has been builded upon the sand? That's what has been working, God has been operating and performing this throughout this prolonged period of Judgment Day. Remember what we read in Psalm 1 concerning standing. In Psalm 1, it's a short psalm, so I'll I'll read from verse 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of Jehovah, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For Jehovah knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. The ungodly will not stand in the judgment. It says in Proverbs 12, in verse 7, the wicked are overthrown and are not. And that word overthrown is the same word that's used um, in Genesis 19 with the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah. The wicked are overthrown and are not, but the house of the righteous shall stand. And and this also relates to Christ's parable. There's um, two houses one built upon the rock, who is Christ, and the other built upon the sand, and an identical storm. When we read that parable, um, the same storm 
assails the house built on the rock as comes against the house built on the sand. And that storm is judgment day. And you see that it's another place where God is telling us that the true believers will go through the fire of judgment day because they will experience the same storm as the unbelievers. And we'll see, finally, which house will fall. And and that's wherein uh, God is glorified because his house it stands at the end of the storm when the storm has passed and gone, and that will be the conclusion of Judgment Day. The house remains. It did not fall. Incredibly, the the strength of the rock is the reason why, and so the rock gets the glory. God gets all the glory. Uh, you know, if you or I are continuing on and enduring, if we've endured up to this point, and if we endure to the end, do we get glory? No, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory. Because we're, uh, and if you asked us, we would admit it, uh, we're being worked on. Uh, we're being dragged through. And there's been many a time we wanted to run and flee and give up. Uh, there, There's a tiredness and a weariness that the true believers are experiencing. But God is faithful wherein we stand, and he is the one bringing the child of God day by day, day by day, through the storm until the completion point when the storm stops its raging, and then at the end will be this glorious house. Whose house are we? The house that Christ, that God has built for an eternal habitation that will remain. And and then the uh, focus will be on eternity future. This is... Um, why God is doing it because he is going to get all the glory. It, it will come back to the rock for the reason uh, that the house was able to endure such a terrible storm. In Ephesians chapter 6, in Ephesians 6, and we've gone over these verses, but um you know the bible is is a big book and we have bad memories so it's always good to be reminded in Ephesians 6 beginning in verse 10 Finally my brethren be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand. And that's the same Greek word translated as stand, so uh, we could read that, that ye may be able to stand 
in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. And what is the evil day? Well, that's reference to judgment day. And notice also it says, and having done all, to stand. What does that mean, having done all? Well, remember, early on we realized in Hebrews chapter 10 that that God was speaking to his people that had completed the task of evangelization of the earth. The, the, the world had been evangelized. The gospel had gone forth. God had used it to save all the elect. And then God ended his salvation program and also at the same time ended the worldwide evangelism that he had instituted and and uh, now it was over and in Hebrews 10 in verse 35 it says cast not away therefore your confidence which hath great recompense of reward for ye have need of patience that after ye have done the will of God ye might receive the promise for yet a little while and he that shall come will come and will not tarry and so forth and we saw how well, that verse fit with this time period after May 21, 2011 in this um, judgment day and how we have done the will of God in evangelization and now afterwards you have need of patience. Well, likewise, Ephesians 6.13 to stand in the evil day and having done all. You've done the will of God, again, concerning sowing the seed of the gospel. And now what remains? Having done all, to stand. To stand, as the question was raised in Revelation 6.17, in the day of the wrath of the Lamb, who shall stand? And this is the all-important thing for every child of God to stand, to endure unto the end. Because what does Matthew 24 tell us about those that endure to the end? They will be saved. And not that enduring will save us, but the fact that we are saved will result in our enduring to the end. And 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 so the uh, greatest thing for each one of us is to stand in the grace of God, in the faith of Christ, to stand in the gospel of the Bible, wherein we stand, according to 1 Corinthians 15, to maintain the integrity of the teaching of the word of God in a, in a day where every doctrine, every verse practically in the Bible is under assault by spiritual forces, by the world at large. Everything is questioned. Every doctrine is being brought to the same point as Satan did to to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Hath God said, actually he was just speaking to Eve, hath God said, and and that's how it is with all the true teaching of the Bible. Hath God said uh, he's a triune God? Or 
or he saves by election. Every, every doctrine man is coming against and we stand in the word of God, in the true teaching of the Bible, in the doctrine of Christ, in the grace and, and faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 14 of Ephesians 6, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherein ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. See there, stand in faith, the shield of faith, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And here the Lord is moving the Apostle Paul to express this prayer for all saints and for himself, it goes on to say, and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now the uh the word translated boldly here uh it's it's uh two different Greek words one is the same as 1 John 4 and verse 17 where uh here it says herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is so are we in this world so let's let's um go over the picture Ephesians 6 is presenting. God is saying, finally, uh, we shouldn't miss that word, back in verse 10, finally, my brethren, and and finally has to do with the conclusion of the matter, and, and that's where we're at in time. Uh, we are in the day of judgment. There's no other period or era or epoch of time coming after this for this world. So this is the final days of earth, and therefore we receive the final directive from God, and it has to do with putting on the whole armor of God in order to stand, to stand in the evil day. And and so Ephesians 6 is describing, it's God basically um telling us how to endure of course it's necessary to be saved but he's calling to mind or calling us to keep in mind that we need the whole armor of god we need god himself we need the the shield of faith we need the sword of the spirit and the helmet of salvation we need to have become a child of God in order to stand in the grace and in the faith of Christ to endure the the storm, to endure the wrath of God, to endure the fire. God uses many different uh, 
illustrations to describe the same thing. Uh, remember what he said back in Malachi, in Malachi chapter 3, uh, it says in verse 2, But who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto Jehovah an offering in righteousness. Who will stand? And now in Ephesians 6, God is answering that. Stand therefore in the armor of God in salvation. You will stand and then a prayer is added for all the saints and for me, the Apostle Paul. Remember, Paul is used as a pattern of believers. And and so this is the prayer, we could say, for the people of God standing before the throne of God as we all appear or are being made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ. We're standing in the day of judgment, enduring the the wrath. And here's the prayer, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly, boldly, boldness, in the day of judgment, to make known the mystery of the gospel, the righteous revelation of the judgment of God according to Romans, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Because we we are uh, to have boldness to proclaim these things that God has revealed, the mystery that has been opened up to our understanding so that we can feed sheep. And we're able to do it. It all comes back to the the armor of God. That God has saved his people. And his people can withstand the storm. They have the ability to endure. It may not seem like it sometimes. And and things can um, really today, uh, on one hand we have our the child of God has his righteous soul vexed by events in the world. Another, we're struggling within ourselves between flesh and the spirit. Another, there's still spiritual forces at work that are that are um, also causing trouble. And the world has gone mad. Uh, the church has gone apostate. And everything appears to be in chaos. And yet it's not. God has a plan and a purpose, and it is that his people stand. It is according to the will of God. Not that we fall, not that we fail, but that we stand through it. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.